This is the I Read Comic Books Podcast. I am your host, Mike Rappin. Joining me this week for episode 362 of the show, two incredibly stylish superheroes from the mid-90s, Paul Jaceley. Hey there, humanoids. And Paloma. Hello, hello, hello. Thank you both for joining me this week. I'm so excited to talk about comics because we have a very interesting topic. Today we're going to be talking about jackets in comics, specifically the best jackets in comic books. And you already know what we're going to be talking about, the X-Men. But before we get into that, I have two legally mandated questions that I have to ask. And that is, how have you been? How have comic books been? Let's start with you, Paloma. I'm doing pretty good, Mike. You know, I survived this little ice storm we had in Michigan. Mm. Didn't fall once. And I would say comics are pretty stellar. I was slacking a little. I was stuck (laughs) reading a novel, shockingly. Oh, no. No pictures. Not even a light novel. <laughs> but yeah, I would say I was really stoked for Black Cloak number two. And I'm just going to start with a content warning for implied mm. self-harm. But I thought it's had a really strong debut. Last month, they're kind of advertising it as the next saga. And issue two mm. keeps the political <laughs> intrigue going. You know, I'm a sucker yeah. for saga. So he- here I am, loving the art. It's really different in the sense where not everyone is traditionally hot like Fiona Staples' characters are. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I'm just really excited to see where the story goes. The protagonist is just too cool, but in a complimentary way, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So yeah, I'm stoked for it. Um, let's see, Paul, how are you doing? How's comics? I'm, I'm doing very well. Yeah, I also survived the West Michigan ice storm. Um, glad to see that today in West Michigan, uh, we have beautiful sunny skies, upper 30s. I'm going to go soak in some vitamin D when we're done recording. Store that up for nice. the rest of winter. Um, comics have been very good. Uh, I read a few things. I stopped at the shop yesterday, about a big stack of comics, kind of start to dig through that. And at the very top of my pile was uh, 20th Century Men number six, the final issue of this miniseries uh, from Dennis Camp. Uh, the writer, artist, Stepian Morian, and letters by Idia Bidikar. I was uh, hesitant to say this was my the best comic of 2022 because I wanted to see if they stuck the landing with this final issue. And I can say they definitely did. Uh, this is one of the best comics I've read in a long time. Uh, fantastic Dang. book. For those that maybe haven't heard me talk about this book before, it's basically, it's kind of like, uh, I don't know, like an indie image take on the ideas of Watchmen in a way. So like Camp is basically talking about the story of the tw- an alternate 20th century where the United States and the Soviet Union had superheroes. Basically, one superhero kind of embodied the ideology of those countries, and they were fighting against each other throughout the 20th century. And uh, this focuses on them fighting against each other in Afghanistan. And this final issue is told from the point of view of an Afghani woman who we've seen throughout the series, basically working as a spy against the Soviet occupation of, of Afghanistan. And the sort of bigger theme is this idea of like, who gets to tell the story of the 20th century? Uh, Why is it the story of capitalism versus communism? And who gets excluded from that story? And the people that get excluded are the people that are affected by it, the people in Afghanistan. So it's a very deep, like dense story. There's a lot of political sort of, you know, uh, not political intrigue, but larger themes of ideology and storytelling. And what's great is that camp, I think, balances the sort of larger themes with a very sort of like focused character specific character focused narrative. And it's not subtle, like the themes are there in the open, but the way he's able to kind of write the narration in this book feels poetic. You know, it's a, it's a really well done book yeah. in that regard. And I think uh, Stepien's artwork kind of mirrors that 
there are some really brutal sequences. You get, again, the battle of ideology is stage as a big superhero knockdown drag out fight you have the armored uh soviet super soldier the iron star fighting this uh unstoppable like monster that the united states created called six bill and they get to have a big kirby-esque knockdown drag out fight at the same time you get these beautiful quiet moments of the afghanistan and afghani people sort of reacting to it and what their life was before the invasion and the war yeah, it's a fantastic book. I, I'm really blown away, blown away by how great it was. I, it's a book that kind of like begs you to go back and reread it because it is so dense at times. And it's one of those books I think in 10, 20 years, you're going to look back and say this is a classic. Like I think this book that's going to be republished in a nice hardcover collection. It's going to be something people want to want on their bookshelves to kind of go back to. Um, yeah, and I, I, like, I wanted to just briefly say like how much I enjoyed Stepien's artwork because it changes a lot. There are moments that are painterly. Right. There's moments that kind of remind me of Eduardo Rizzo, like the sort of like loose, like fluid line work. Uh, mm-hmm. There's a whole section where the United States president, who was a super soldier in the world uh, during World War II, is now the president, is talking to a bunch of donors who are, of course, um, defense contractors who want this war to keep going. And the way mm-hmm. he draws that kind of looks like Rizzo type artwork. He actually draws one of the, again, it's not a subtle book. <laughs> so one of the contractors yeah. is basically drawn to look like a pig, like a war pig. So it's like, yeah, yeah. It's, it's all right there. But the way it's done, I feel is very nuanced and like engaging. So it's a fantastic book. So now this all concluded, I can't wait to go back and reread it. Yeah, I, I remember trying to read this month to month and mm-hmm. feeling like overwhelmed. Yeah. Um, I'm glad to know that it's over, if only because I've been buying all the issues. And now I can, <laughs> I think, read it in maybe a sitting um, versus yeah. just feeling like, oh, man, what exactly happened last month that I you know can't keep track of sometimes, which uh-huh. like isn't a negative reflection on camp's writing. I think no. like, but t- to your point, though, it's just it is a dense book. It's like, could you read Watchmen month, month to month? Like, get the fuck out of here. I don't think <laughs> right. so, you know, right. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, and I, I think the comparison to Watchmen is is fair if only because like i think that is the like level of storytelling that dennis camp is going for right yes yeah. it's, it's not that it's a, a an exact copy or camp is trying to like crib off of more no. by any means um and, and gibbons but it is that kind of story where it's like big huge thoughts going into a narrative that is sometimes bashing you over the face with what it's trying to say <laughs> yeah. and other times being very nuanced at the same you know and in, in from page to page and from issue to issue yeah yeah it, it, it's a story about you know uh the Cold War ideology and the story of the 20th century through the lens of superhero comics, which I think was kind of like yeah. what Watchmen is. But this is, again, like in terms of the artwork and staging and storytelling, it's very different. But I think the overarching themes, yeah, there's a parallel there. Yeah, exactly. Well, for me, um, things have been things have been interesting. I haven't had a lot of time to read comics except for I did finish Motor Girl. So shout outs. Motor Girl's amazing. Everyone should go read that book um, if you haven't had a chance. I talked about it last week on the show. Um, so just a quick shout out there. But the book that I do want to talk about right now is 8 Billion Genies number seven. This is Ryan Brown and Charles Soule. Uh, if you haven't been reading this, the premise of the story is one day everybody on Earth gets a genie and they can wish for pretty much whatever they want. There's like some minor stipulations, but for the most part, people can wish for whatever they want. So little kids wish to be superheroes or some people wish for like the world to be square or the world to be flat. Um, (laughs) And it all happens because these genies can just by the snap of their fingers, make things happen. Um, And so by the time we reach issue seven, a lot has happened, especially because each issue covers a different time period right the first issue is like the first eight seconds the second issue is the first eight minutes eight hours Mm -hmm. eight Mm -hmm. days eight weeks and now at this point we are the first 80 years of what's happened um and so this issue was really interesting being the penultimate issue 
because so much has happened and so much has been reset because of course out of chaos we as humans devise systems in order to try to solve our problems and so we get to really see what that looks like and if it's not as fun as you may think which i think brown and soul and i think at this point it's mostly ryan brown kind of like driving this story shows that like everything still kind of sucks except and this is where you get little bits of narrative where people are able to be happy despite all the chaos of the world and i really like what what they did with this issue um just think that the next issue is going to be 800 years oh <laughs> like what happens in 800 <laughs> years is absolutely insane to me and i keep thinking how are they going to end this this book had better not end on a wet fart it better not <laughs> end on like a monty python movie right all i yeah. can think of is how like when i was younger i thought the ending of monty python and the Holy Grail was extremely hilarious. And as I got older, I was like, I would have just liked a, like a little bit more of a closure joke to like mm -hmm. make the whole story come back around. And it, it does to a certain extent. But regardless, I'm hoping that this isn't like some out of left field ending that like just kind of goes, ha ha, that was fun, wasn't it? Where versus actually getting some closure with all these characters that we've grown to care about throughout the series. So yeah, I'm, but I'm digging this series. Brown's art is insane. And I think especially in the last two issues, six and seven, he's done some extremely fun and goofy stuff. And that's why I keep coming back to his books, right? Like you can't mm -hmm. not look at a Ryan Brown book because you're like, what's he going to come up with on the paper this time? You know, um, so yeah, digging this book. Uh, have, have either of you read this at all? I don't know if you guys have gotten this far yet. Yeah, I, I'm not up to issue seven, I think. I maybe left off at issue five and I, I'm a sucker okay. for the premise sometimes wish stuff I find so stressful. Cause I'm just like, Oh God, Oh God, where's it going to go? Especially cause there was like <laughs> one of the main characters in the beginning is like a child. And so he has this very wishful thinking. Um, but I really dig this series and how zany it has been. And then mm -hmm. also maybe issue three or four, the kid kind of like, realizes oh my god maybe this it isn't fun being a superhero there's a superhero <laughs> caveat everybody yeah of course yeah. of course there is <laughs> um i've not read this uh i did actually didn't know the premise until you just explained it but i heard the name like so i'll have to go check this out it sounds interesting are any of the genies uh kazam from the the shack movie you know given ryan brown's <laughs> Uh, tendency to reference weird things from the 90s. I'm surprised there isn't a Kazam. Who knows? There's still one issue left. <laughs> okay. There's still one issue left. All right. well, let me know. If <laughs> I, I mean, if you think about God Hates Astronauts, I'm pretty sure one of the main characters from that was like the dad from Family Matters, mm -hmm. from the TV show Family Matters. Oh he was God. like the cop. Um, <laughs> so, you know, he kind of, he loves that kind of stuff. Anyways, sure. <laughs> I think when this eighth issue comes out, it's going to be a fantastic like hardcover to mm -hmm. read. It's really, yeah. really fun. It's very funny. I mean, Ryan Brown, fantastic creator but um paloma what else have you been reading so i think the last time i was on the top of my pile was maybe dc's dark crisis and so now i've read that yes <laughs> just in time for the dawn of dc to hitch start hitting the shelves and i'm i'm excited for it you know when i think i'm not biased when it comes to the big two i just keep getting and like following more and more dc books <laughs> so uh -huh. what does that what does that mean for me um but <laughs> i picked up superman number one it's joshua williamson writing i think he uh he's been on the x books or wow sorry the <laughs> superman books for a minute and then <laughs> yeah. jamal campbell doing the art i love jamal's work on far <sighs> sector that he did with nk jemison just beautiful mm -hmm. he also does mm -hmm. variants for nightwing 
I'm a big Nightwing fan. So just love his art. And I'm not huge on Superman solo books. I like him in conjunction with other characters because he's just so different Mm -hmm. from all the other superheroes because he's typically like not as nuanced typically right like with batman he is the good guy even like wonder woman is very much like nah dude we gotta we gotta beat these guys up but i thought it was a great (laughs) number one like the classic jumping on point but i felt like it was really good where you have superman saying kind of like his old timey lines that people probably still associate with him but still like this more modern take and i imagine if you've been following the series i have not been i'm the layman here it probably is exciting to see where it's going to go. Lex is in jail, but is kind of like whispering to Superman and with Superman's hearing and fine tuning, he's like hearing Yo. Lex. So Lex is in his head while Lex is in prison <laughs> and Lex is trying to dump Lex core, Lex Corp. Don't know if the P is yeah. silent there onto Superman. So I'm just very interested to see where this goes. Also, as a subplot, Jimmy Olsen is talking about his new girlfriend. So I'm like, oh, my God, what the, what is this reveal going to be? Who is she going <laughs> to be? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Nice. nice. I was curious about this. I'll have to, I'll have to jump on and check this out. Yeah, I, I'm just looking at some of the preview art, and I'm like, am I going to buy this just to get more Jamal Campbell art in my <laughs> life? Maybe. Yeah. I think that's almost where I'm at. <laughs> right? Fair enough. Yeah. Well, Paul, what else have you been reading? Uh, well, uh, I have to apologize in advance. Technically, this is not comics, but it's about comics. So there's a kind of a loophole, I guess. Uh, I just picked this up from the library. I think it came out last year, but it's called All of the Marvels. It's written by Douglas Walk, who's a uh, comic book historian and critic. He wrote a book called Reading Comics that came out in 2008, which is kind of like an overview of like you know the history of comics, where to jump in. And this is almost like a Marvel-centric version of that book where uh, <laughs> Walk read every in continuity Marvel comic that was published between 1961 and 2017, uh, which is roughly 27,000 comics. Um, And the idea is that because the Marvel universe has never technically been rebooted and it is a shared universe, like it's all one big story, not by design, but that's what it eventually became through practice. Right. Sure. And then what's great is that Wolk very explicitly says, don't do this. Like don't read every Marvel comic. It's not worth your time. Um, Paul, people are leaving the Discord chat. They're like, they're done with this podcast. They can't believe that these things are being said right now. (laughs) Um, But what what he says, but the idea is like this book functions as uh, a a roadmap to where to get in. You don't need to read everything from the beginning. And I really liked the introductory chapters where Wolk is saying like, there's a a tendency to think I need to know everything before I start. It's like, you really don't. Like a well-written comic will tell you everything you need to know, right? Yeah. And these are, and if most of the time, if you're confused by a comic, it's not your fault for not knowing everything. It's the fault of the creators for not getting you like up to speed, right? Snaps um, in the chat right now. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes, 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 please. And and uh, I think what's great too is like Wolk kind of uses that to, to unpack the singular joys and often headaches that come along with be reading serialized superhero fiction. Like there's something really beautiful about reading a ton of superhero comics and following these stories, even though they kind of drain your wallet and are frustrating and often reductive and like violent. But there's something unique about doing this. It's like if you kind of approach it from the right angle, there's a lot of reward to reading uh, the larger Marvel stories. So each chapter focuses on uh, a corner of the universe. There's a chapter about the Fantastic Four, a chapter about the X-Men, a chapter about Spider-Man, obviously. And like 
what Wolk does is kind of like tease out a thread that ties those stories about those characters or franchises together. Like here's examples of Spider-Man looking for a father figure and finding one, then that father figure failing him like that happens over and over again. So it's like tracing out those through different specific comics that he highlights. So if you want a roadmap on how to get into Marvel or superheroes in general, this is kind of telling you, here's an issue to start with, or here's a story to start with. You don't need to start at the beginning. Right. So uh, it's really interesting to me, like as someone who's more, again, more of a DC fan and more familiar with that stuff, this is giving me some things to focus on. Like, oh, there's some Thor stories that sound really interesting. They'll have to tease out and like go track down and read. So, totally. uh, and it's also very accessible. If you've never read Marvel, it kind of like not into superhero comics. This is a good introduction of like, what is unique and special about superhero comics and why people have been reading them for 80 years. Like what's kind of unique and, and uh, rewarding about that. So it's a great book, uh, even though there's, you know, not as many pictures as, you know, as normal comic uh, and technically mm-hmm. isn't a comic book, I think it's a very engaging book that any comic fan might want to check out. Yeah, this sounds insane, like in, in a good way. Like, I really like the idea of someone doing all the heavy lifting mm-hmm. <laughs> right. to, to exactly. try to, you know, figure yeah. this out. I, I just I'm going to keep this link handy so that anytime I see like a Reddit post or someone on Discord or something saying like, oh, I'm going to read all of X-Men from the beginning. I'm just going to say, read this instead. Don't <laughs> don't do that to yourself. It's OK. Right. Uh <laughs> That's great. I'm gonna have to grab a copy of this though. This sounds really, really cool. Yeah, I think the the paperback is coming out uh, later this year, like I think in next month or something. So yeah, mm-hmm. I might have. I like I said, got from the library, but I kind of wanted just to buy a copy to have on hand as reference. Totally, totally. Um, well, let me see. Let's let me talk about one last book here that I read before we get into our top four pile. Um, I read Heck Treasury by uh, Matt Kent, Brian Hurt, and Marie Engie. Or Eng, I don't, I don't know. I'm gonna just say it like that. Uh, but this is a Kickstarter book that I, I snagged a while ago. It's like an anthology. Like the pitch was, the Heck Treasury will showcase each creator as they unleash new ideas, use experimental art, formatting, and storytelling techniques. Which, like, you got me on board with Matt Kint, and I've seen Brian Hurt's art before, um, and I hadn't seen Marie's art before, so I was like, let's let's see what this is all about. Um, finally got it in the mail. I should say, I got it in the mail a while ago, and it's just been sitting on my shelf, and I happen to have President's Day off, so I was like, you know what? We're going to read some backlog. I'm going to do the thing that nice. I always say I'm going to do with my time off, right? Um, <laughs> so I read this, and at first, it kind of felt like it was almost too much of a combination of like prose and comics in one place. There's a lot of text in the first third of this book um, from the comp, like both in dialogue and caption, as well as just like full on, we're going to call them what Marvel's been calling them data pages of like a thing. Like you would go to a museum and you'd see a beautiful mural of something, but then there's just like these big boxes of text that you have to read to kind of understand what's being shown. And I was kind of like, if this is what the whole book's going to be, I don't want to read this. I almost DNF'd this book because there was a lot of this in the beginning. But I was like, no, 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 Mike, you paid too much money for this nice a deluxe edition <laughs> of this book to get a huge portrait of, you know, this big Matt Kind artwork. So I, I kept reading and slowly but surely, I started to understand the feel of this book. I started to understand the pace of it. I felt like there was a lot of this stuff up front to kind of give you some background on what was going to eventually be a series of like in and out stories, some connected, some not connected. Matt Kint, Brian Hurt, Marie Eng are doing each of their own kind of stories. Some of them are connected, some of them aren't. Um, and ultimately, I found it to be super beautiful. Like each of their little sci-fi stories had a lot of heart to them. Clearly, the experimentation was definitely there. You could see a lot of just traditional panel and and so on and so forth books. But then like Kint would just do 
like random splash pages with no context for different things like in this world that he was kind of establishing um hurt would just do like a big map just to be like here's a map here's some cool stuff here's how i'm drawing this map and then the back of the book has a bunch of process stuff in it as well um and yeah i really like this it kind of felt like i was reading a season of black mirror to put it in that kind of context where there's a lot of sci-fi stuff going on and you're kind of not sure you don't really get all the answers but the narrative is, is there and there's a little bit more connective tissue between each of the the, the various chapters of each of the stories um then like a black mirror or something like that but i really like the pacing of this book they really found a way to like inject shorter stories between longer stories so that you kind of felt like there was a snappiness and it wasn't just like over and over 30 pages 30 pages 30 pages which like is fine when you're reading a book, but like to go like with a three page story to a 20 page story to a 19 page story to a 50 page story. It feels like you're reading through this thing faster than you maybe actually are. And I like that. I didn't feel bored at all. Like every single story had something that was like jumping out to me. And um, I really enjoyed the mix of styles. And despite the artist's, each of them having very, very different styles, right? Like Matt Kent's style is very different than a traditional comic book artist. All of the, the way that this book was put together, it clicked like all of these styles really, really work together as you got these very different looks between each of the stories. So I totally devoured this. I ended up getting through that first third and then like getting over the hump of not understanding what the book was. And then it was like cake. It was it was butter. It was easy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really, really enjoyed it. By the end, I was actually like wanting more of this. Um, but I probably wouldn't want it in the huge like it was like an, it's almost like an 11 by 17 size, like oversized treasury edition <sighs> yeah, of this book. Wow. So uh, but it was really cool. I mean, if you cool. can get your hands on a digital copy, I think it looks beautiful. I've got a digital copy as well. Um, but otherwise, the hardcover is is very, very nice. Um, so definitely recommend that if you're looking for some interesting like out there lo-fi sci-fi kind of stories because there's no like big green lantern style holographics blah 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 it's Mm -hmm. like huge mecha robots some like biotech stuff where you're like not really sure what's happening and then like a lot of almost experimental like is it real technology is this in your head kind of stuff um Mm -hmm. it's it's a good mix of of very interesting sci-fi nice so you know that's what anybody's into but um Let's let's move on. Let's talk about comics that are on the top of our pile, whether they're new, old, or just something you want to you want to read that's been sitting on your shelf, like the heck treasury. That's where I was at. <laughs> um, <laughs> let's talk about that. So I guess we'll. I, I have I have so much to say about this, so I apologize for those of you that are listening. Um, if you just want to skip when we get to me, there's chapters in your podcast player that you can click on. We've been putting those in every episode. Um, but <laughs> to get us started, Paul, what's yeah. on the top of your pile this week? Well, uh, we have some new Love and Rockets coming out this week. Love and Rockets number 13. That's Love and Rockets volume four. If you're keeping track at home, that's, of course, Los Bros Hernandez, uh, Gilbert, and Jaime. Um, and I don't know what else to say. New Love and Rockets, of course, it's on top of my pile. Um, the past few <laughs> past few issues, um, Jaime has been continuing his story about Ma- Maggie and Maggie sort of befriending like a younger generation of characters here in, in, uh, there in um, Hoppers, the, where she lives. Um, so what I like about Jaime's stuff is that somehow he is able to keep this story going. Like Maggie is the central figure, but like there are a lot of stories that she's not in. Like there's this younger group of uh, high school kids who they sort of tar- t- tangentially related, um, not you know familiarly, but they kind of like run in the same circles. So Maggie ends up befriending mm. them, becoming sort of a, a, a maternal figure. Because like Maggie doesn't have kids of her own, but 
her taking on that role is kind of an interesting sort of step in that direction for a character who, again, the, the joy of Love and Rockets is seeing Maggie grow from a teenager to someone who's, you know, in their 50s now and taking on that role and how they handle it. And then uh, uh, Jaime has also been kind of serializing a this like strange like sci-fi story through some of his story, some of these issues where it's it's a mashup of like a monster movie and like a sci-fi movie and comics and a love story. A lot of it is just sort of wordless. These like action panels of characters fighting or flying through space. Um, mm-hmm. And again, the, the contrast between that stuff and the grounded story of Maggie is kind of interesting to see how Jaime is like. I kind of just want to do some fun sci-fi stuff. You know, I can't do it. I can't do it with Maggie. So here's this, this stuff that doesn't quite fit in the Locust stories, but you get to see him kind of mm-hmm. like work that stuff out, which I really enjoy. And then uh, the Gilbert stuff. Gilbert's an interesting cartoonist. I just got to say like, that's it's stuff that <laughs> folks at home. You can't yeah. see Paul's face that he made before he started to speak. <laughs> it, there's a lot of, there's a lot to enjoy in Gilbert's cartooning. I think he's a, in some ways a more experimental cartoonist than Jaime, but the cast of characters he creates is so big. Like if you buy a copy of love and rockets, the opening, like the inside front cover, is just like a list of the characters in the Gilbert stories. Like here's how they're related here's like, you know, 20 characters, so-and-so is so-and-so's uncle. And this person is their like, you know, estranged daughter that they haven't spoken to. These characters live in America, these characters live in Mexico. And I kind of keep flipping back to kind of like, who's who in this? Because all of the characters mm-hmm. that are related are kind of look the same, you know? So it's like, <laughs> you know, um, that said, the way Gilbert tells the story on the page is always very engaging, whether or not, sure. you know, it's like this long running telenovela on a comic book page that I can't quite suss out what the story is. It just always looks very interesting. So there you go. Uh, Maybe not the best jumping on point for new readers. I would say (laughs) love and rockets is something I would say, start at the beginning and work your way through, you know? Uh, But yeah, I'm always excited for new uh, Hernandez brothers stuff. Gotcha. Yeah. So you're, you're not a fan of like the Lord of the Rings, like style Silmarillion and -and so-and-so begat, blah, blah, blah. Like, (laughs) You know, or Game of Thrones or something where there's like 50 houses and everyone's related in some way, right? Yeah, yeah. That's, I mean, that stuff's never worked for me, but here, I, this is a little bit more manageable, I think. So, okay. Yeah. Okay, cool. <laughs> uh, well, Paloma, what about you? What's on the top of your pile? This tome has been sitting on my pile for a minute, borrowed it from a friend, but <gasps> Ten of Swords. I think it was the next big shift in the current X Men universe after Hawks Pox. And I'm trying to get back into X-Men after Hawks Pox. And it's just, you know, we've all literally said this. There's just so many titles. There's just so many X-Books. So I Mm -hmm, felt like mm -hmm. this would be a good little re-entry point just to keep up. And it sounds cool. I've only I've heard a lot of good things. Yeah. Yeah. All right. That's interesting. Who are you talking to? (laughs) (laughs) Um. I don't I don't want to I don't want to hamper any excitement you may have for this because I think Exoswords is really cool and I will be curious to hear your thoughts next time you're on the show okay. to know what you're you know or send me a DM and we can talk about it I'd be happy to talk about Exoswords all day um or power or 10 of swords whatever you want to call it I'm I call it Exoswords cuz that's just who I am I prefer but, X uh, I just didn't want to sound yeah, like yeah. a noob in case okay. everyone said 10 <laughs> The thing that I've come to learn about X-Men is that eventually you can just start giving the middle finger to anyone who disagrees with you <laughs> and just say, this is my truth about the X-Men. Um, so if it's X of Swords to you, no one can argue with you. <laughs> 
mean, um, I, but yeah, get, let me know. Go ahead, Paul. Sorry. I was going to say, like, I'm, I'm curious about this, too, because like, I really enjoyed Hox Pox, but then once that main story was done, I really didn't know where to go. Like, I wasn't going to buy every X-Men title and read it. So, but I like... I liked that story and I liked the way that Hickman kind of like seemed to get beyond uh, the Claremont stuff, do something unique with the X-Men for once. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, but, but as soon as I saw the title of this, like X of Swords, I was like, what is going on? I mean, if it's yeah. just like, it sounds so cartoony and over the top, but kind of makes it more appealing in a way for me. I, I feel like there is a definitive reading list that you can like cut through some of the fat, I think sure. in the X-Men books to go from, how do you get from Hawks Pox to X of Swords mm-hmm. um, or 10 of Swords, whatever you want to call it. I, I think there is a through line because um, I'm like, you really only need to know like a handful of pieces. You need to know that ap- how Apocalypse goes from being this core member of the Quiet Council to his status at the beginning of X of Swords. Um, and you can get it through like you have to you, have, you do have to bounce between books, which I think is the most frustrating part yeah. is that you do have to bounce around books. Now, if you're someone like me who is reading everything, because there's a reading list in the back of all the issues to be like, read this, then this, then this. And now, like after right. all the number ones of the original books that came after House of X and Powers of Ten, um, you only have to read all the number ones in order. And after that, it's kind of a free for all because like, it's kind of brutal to ask writers to like time everything like Grant Morrison style when they yeah. were writing things and they're like, you can't do play with this character. I'm having them do this, you know? Um, so it's, it's a little bit wishy washy, but you do need to read like a couple things to see like what a handful of characters were doing okay. in order to get to where power or X of swords starts. But right. so I, you know, we could do this all day. I'd be happy to do this all day. Um, <laughs> Paloma, I'm very excited to hear what you say. If you're going straight from Hoxpox to this, I'd be curious to know like what that's at. I don't know if you've read anything. I have in the read some of the maybe most of the number ones right after okay. Hoxpox, but yeah, I've I've also forgotten many things. So I have a feeling that this book will probably open with a well, "Here's everything you need yes. to know," to, you know, to get you here. Right. So right. Marvel is pretty good about that. I will admit. Um. Cool. Well, all right. I've got a lot to say, but before I get into my top of my pile pick, we do have some folks hanging out with us on Discord today. As always, we appreciate them. So we're giving them a quick shout out of what's on top of their pile. Danny is reading Cosmic Ghost Rider number one. CK is reading Octopus, a memoir of flailing. Paul G is reading Moon Eaters by Victoria or Victor Santos. And Xander is reading Wave, Listen to Me, which I believe is a manga that Nick recommended to him. So um, I believe his exact quote was, it's been an embarrassingly amount of, long amount of time since Nick recommended this to me. I should probably read it. So it's finally getting around to it. My pick this week is obviously, if you're looking at LeagueOfComicGeeks.com, you can skim through from top to bottom. You can see all the books that are coming out. The 24 number ones that are coming out this week. You could skim through the entire list. And boy, oh boy, the book that I have to pick, Big Titty Goth Girlfriends on the Moon number two. Uh, <laughs> you were a big I fan wish of that number one. one. So yeah, I was a too. big fan of number one. Uh, no, <laughs> Uh, that's a book that's coming out this week. Actually, the book that is on the top of my pile is uh, so there's two number ones. I'm breaking the rules. I'm picking two number ones this week because, as I said, there were 24 number ones. Um, and I'm just going to go through this list before I actually get to the top of my pile. And again, use the chapters in your podcatcher to skip past all of my bullshit. Um all in night, all night and every day. Number one from Aftershock, Barbella, The Center Cannot Hold. Number one, Cosmic Ghost Rider, DCRWBY. 
Hallow's Eve, Hallowed number one, Hunt, Kill, Repeat, Red Zone number one, Rick and Morty presents Time Zoo number one, Rock and Roll Hell number one, Rogue and Gambit, <laughs> Skull and Bones, Savage Storm, Spider Gwen, Spider Man, Trick Pony. That's not even all of them. There's I don't understand why there's so number so many number ones coming out this yeah, week. Like you, it, it's March. You forgot to mention Shazam: Fury of the Gods special Shazamly Matters number one, which is Th- that's um, yeah I. <laughs> I don't, yeah, it's Dead Fellows number, I don't know. The, Marvel has a bunch of books. Some company called Keen Spot has a book. This rock and roll book that's supposed to be coming out is coming from a publisher for, called Sumerian. Some of it's like Kickstarter stuff. Some of it's like weird independent books that 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 online advertise or online like auction site is also mm-hmm. like making comics. That's a whole other topic itself. You guys heard of this? No. Yeah. Anyways, 24 number ones coming out this week. So of course I picked two of them because this is my show and I'll do whatever I want. <laughs> Uh, so <laughs> I'm going to pick up, uh, Phantom Road number one. This is by Jeff Lemire, art by Gabriel Walta, uh, colors by Jordi Belair, letters probably by Hassan Otsmani Elhau or Clayton Coles. Let's just be honest. It's <laughs> one of those two. Sure. Um, it's not listed anywhere online. I can't find out. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a horror book. It looks like, you know, there's a long haul truck driver attempting to stay ahead of his tragic past. Of course, it's Jeff Lemire. Um, and suddenly a typical midnight run has become a frantic journey through a surreal world where Dom and a girl named Birdie find themselves in the quarry of strange and impossible monsters. It looks like aliens. It looks like some sort of desert creepy monster thing. And I'm very much ready for Gabriel Walta and Jeff Lemire to scare the pants off of me. However, however, if this is anything like the book Sentient, I'm sure that it's going to be just an okay book. Um, so that's my that's my hot take this week. Is Sentient is just an okay comic, despite all of the awards that it won. Um, Danny is coming for me in the chat. Uh, he says he's quitting the show. I think, uh, but I don't know. I think Sentient was okay. I thought it was good. It wasn't mind blowing, right? I, and I think that's because Lemire doesn't really put his full self into these books where he doesn't have complete creative ownership over them right mm-hmm. like tko his comicsology original stuff have been just okay because i don't think he owns the ip and he's like why would i put my best foot forward if this really isn't mine you know i don't know just my huh. just my thought but i'm excited i'm gonna read this regardless so like don't get me wrong folks i'm still paying for it i'm still gonna buy it <laughs> but the other book that i'm gonna read of course of course Rogan Gambit number one. This is Stephanie Phillips on writing, Carlos Gomez on art, colors by David Curiel. I mean, come on, what can I say? Mm-hmm. You know, this book is coming in the middle of what's eventually going to be the fall of X right now. We're in the middle of Sins of Sinister. The fall of X is coming. Kieran Gillen is crafting something that he keeps hinting at in his newsletter. Um, and this is a, a book about how much your stepmom hates you, apparently, because <laughs> Destiny strikes your favorite X Men duo is the synopsis. Um, I don't know. I don't really care what this book is about. All I know is Stephanie Phillips is a pretty solid writer, and she's a hell of a lot better of a writer than modern day Chris Claremont. Um, if you weren't here before we started recording, I went on a bit of a tirade about how much I dislike the Gambit series that Chris Claremont has been writing recently, even though I bought it and I'm buying the collected edition. Like you're, I have a col- you know a collector's mentality. I need to own everything. But if Stephanie Phillips can deliver the same way that Kelly Thompson delivered with her Rogan Gambit series, I will be very, very happy. And uh, again, anything's better than modern day Claremont, as far as I'm concerned. So sure. very excited for both of those books. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, <laughs> that's, a, that's a very fitting book to be uh, choosing this week, given the theme of the rest of the show. Yeah, yes. we're, we are going to be talking about jackets. So let's uh, <laughs> let's take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to be talking about the absolute best jackets in comics. Spoilers. I don't think it's actually Rogan Gambit. I think we've got some better contenders. So 
We'll be back in just a second to talk about that. Before we get into the second half of the show, I want to tell you folks about a Kickstarter that I'm really excited about. Opinions May Vary presents the Starwell Foundation, an all-new comic book audio drama from the team that brought you over 450 episodes of the OMV podcast since 2012. It's a good versus evil tale with heart, humor, and action in equal measure. You'll meet both heroes and villains that have yet to be seen before. The show has six episodes between 20 and 30 minutes featuring incredible actors and stories that will take you on an adventure of twists and turns. Mary Dare, the newest employee of the Starwell Foundation, is tasked with finding supervillains and convincing them to be kind for a few moments by visiting children in hospitals, inspiring them, and maybe even helping out around Brava City. Help Kickstarter adventure in the six-episode comic book audio drama The Starwell Foundation Season 1. The Kickstarter is fully funded and working on stretch goals right now. Check out the original two-episode pilot season on omvpodcast.com and join the kickstarter by clicking the link in the show notes now back to the show for our show this week we are talking about the best jackets in comics a little while ago i reached out to paul and paloma and i said hey we need to talk about something on this show and we can do a no topic episode but you guys have something in specific you want to talk about and like two minutes later paloma best jackets in comics and i was like explain so Paloma, <laughs> tell the people at home what you were thinking when you said best jackets, because Paul, as soon as you saw that, you were like, um, absolutely. So mm-hmm. like, what's going on? Okay, so here, here's what was going on. This is very specific. I just read Action Comics 1051. There's a okay. backstory in there. It's Power Girl. She gets a new outfit. If you're not familiar with Power Girl, she's blonde. She's a super man adjacent person. Typically wears a leotard that's white, long sleeves. Has a very controversial, infamous, famous window cut out on her uniform. Mm-hmm. Um, she gets a new costume. The shoulder window. Yes, exactly <laughs> where that window is. Right, right. Um, and so she gets a new costume. Still like your classic spandex. I believe there's pants at the bottom. Maintains her window. Give her a jacket. I was like, looks cool as hell person she's talking to that gave her this jacket i don't know this character she's a redhead she's also wearing a jacket very sleek Mm. and i'm like what's going on here so then i just had to i became obsessed with jackets and how they now interact with comics when when i think of jackets my icon starting off hot is 90s superboy oh okay i feel like he was my intro to really being like, oh, just throwing on a jacket over spandex. There's more to him. He has the sunglasses, <laughs> the haircut, the belt, so, the jacket. The undercut, yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't know this character. Explain to me who what this character looks like. I, I feel like I don't know. I feel like he will once I start going, but he's a teen-looking guy. He has like an undercut fade of some more curly hair, black. Mm-hmm. Where it is mm-hmm. circular sunglasses, leather jacket with a golden S on, like Superman insignia on the back. Sick. Okay. Has his yep. like red and blue spandex with the, also a Superman insignia. Has two belts. Mike, he's not wearing pants. It's it's a spandex outfit. Has two belts. Okay. Um, of course. And I believe his ears are pierced. And maybe there's more designs yeah, happening it's... on the jacket, but it's. That's 90s I mean, Superboy, who's still this Superboy, but that's how he was introduced. Right. Okay. Right. Okay. This is not 
John. No, Kent. it's this Connor slash Con L. Con L. Okay, yeah. okay. Has two okay. daddies, mixed DNA of Superman and Lex Luthor. Okay. Okay. <laughs> he was one of the four Supermen that came back yes. when the Superman died. He was replaced by four Supermen, and he was one of them. So. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> uh, and he wears a cool jacket. Okay. Yes. Okay. I see. I see. Um, I mean, that you you do ask the question, though, Paloma, like, is the future jackets, right? right? Like, <laughs> does everybody just get a jacket as part of their new look? Is that a, like a common thing, I guess? I've... Oh my gosh, this is the coolest Superman I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> right? See? I just I just Googled it. <laughs> um <laughs> He's smoking a cigarette, I think. Oh no, his finger's just smoking. Yeah. Um he's so cool. Oh, and my they're gosh. bringing this look back. There's gonna be Superboy Man of Tomorrow, um, that one, the DC Round Robin, and they brought this look back. Like this Superboy sacrificed himself way back in 2006 with Infinite Crisis, and then he kind of mm. finally came back. In a young justice where they're like in Wonder World or something, but he came back with this look. And he's maintaining hmm. this look. He did not die wearing this outfit. And it's very dated, it's very 90s. Like as we <laughs> proceed, a lot of these jackets came out in the 90s, right? These 90s superhero characters, mm-hmm. which I feel is very dated in that sense. But also now it feel like it just feels more modern in a weird way. Like Polaris <laughs> well, has a jacket. Nineties are back. back. Yeah, Yeah. that's what it is. Um, Well, I guess, Paul. I I know you also listed this character, but what were you thinking in terms of best jackets? I know we've got a bunch of a bunch on the list. So, well, uh, the first, honestly, the first person I thought of when I think about jackets and superheroes is actually Grant Morrison, uh, because there's something about them putting characters in jackets, and it somehow always works. So, I mean, right off the bat. So I mean, Sorry, every, every single character that I, you said Grant Morrison and I was just like, oh, no, <laughs> what have we unleashed? Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure Grant Morrison has cool jackets themselves. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Uh, but in terms of characters, it's like the first major work that they did for uh, American comics was Animal Man for DC. And like one of the first things Morrison did was put a cool leather jacket. I'm guessing it was pleather uh, for Animal Man, uh, Animal uh, leather, leather jacket on Animal Man. Mm-hmm. Very 90s look. Uh, but then I realized that before coming to America to write that, um, or I mean, not before writing for American comics, Morrison did a series in 2008 called Zenith, and which is about a superhero who's kind of like a pop star. And Zenith mm-hmm. wears a leather jacket, too. And then when Morrison starts writing Doom Patrol, he puts yes. a leather jacket on Robot Man. He gives yeah. Rebus yeah. a cool trench coat. <laughs> it's like, and then... When they finally get to write the X-Men, he give they give the X-Men the coolest looking jackets imaginable. Those motorcycle jackets mm-hmm, with the big yellow mm-hmm. X on the front. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. The the Morrison loves superheroes in jackets, and I don't know why. But I mean it works for me too. So Yeah, those that new X-Men look. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was a it was a it was great and it was also awful at the same time, right? Because it's so impractical. I feel like Brian Singer did it first. And Morrison mm. did it right. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I love the look of that, like, especially the cover of that, uh, the first issue of New X-Men, where it's like the mm-hmm. whole gang standing and they all yes. are wearing their jackets. Like, yeah. Uh, I mean, this goes back to, you know, Mike Rappin wants to have a gang and you know the IRCB <laughs> gang. Watch out, you know, the, that I said a couple episodes ago. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I totally feel that. I love, love that look on the X-Men. Um, yeah. But, now that you've listed like Rebus and <laughs> Robot Man and Animal Man, they all have, wear jackets. Yep. I never put that together until just now. So and thank it, you. Well, it's like it's almost like it's a symbol for the character changing because Robot Man's very different when he 
he starts wearing the jacket and like animal right, man's the same right. thing like animal man putting on the jacket symbolize it's very different from the version of the character from the 60s so it's almost mm-hmm. like the jacket <laughs> is a metaphor you know it, it's it again if you want to talk <laughs> about cool jackets i'm not talking about comics anymore but if you're talking about cool jackets obviously the snakeskin jacket that uh nicholas cage wears in wild at heart where he says this jacket <laughs> represents a symbol of my individuality my belief in personal freedom that's really what's happening when these characters put on jackets in comics. Mm-hmm. Sorry, mm-hmm. I, to, I always have to go on a little David Lynch tangent. If we're going to talk about that. <laughs> I, I was going to say, if it's not Grant Morrison, it's David Lynch. And look at you, one-two punch right there. Boom, I'm row. checking out. I'm good for the episode. <laughs> Met my quota. Um, well, I did do a little bit of Googling myself. Um, and I came up with, there are two articles, one from CBR, um, Superheroes with the Coolest Jackets. It's a bad list. Um, <laughs> the second one was the decade every superhero got a jacket for some reason, which was from Marvel.com written by huh. someone named TJ Deitch, um, <laughs> which I thought was an interesting thing because they talk about the 90s. Of course, everybody gets gets a jacket, you know, Gambit. Gambit always had a jacket. Shut up. Um, the <laughs> Avengers also got <laughs> this is me talking to the person writing the article. Um, Blade got a jacket. Blade's always had a jacket. Shut up. The Fantastic Four all got jackets. And I just want right. to. I know that this is an audio meeting, so I'm really sorry for the people at home. Come and scroll through the live chat. Um, I'm pasting a link to a Doom, or excuse me, a Fantastic Four color that's covered that says Rise of Doom. Um, and I don't understand why Invisible Woman is wearing nothing almost <laughs> except for the jacket, um, right. but it's very weird. And the thing has a helmet on because he needs protection from his head. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, anyways, so. Yeah, the Secret de- Defenders also wore jackets. Uh, Luke Cage got a jacket. Captain America, for some reason, wore a jacket. Doctor Strange kind of always wore a jacket, but I guess he mm-hmm. got a different jacket. Um, so anyways, interesting. But of course, the first thing that came to mind when we started talking about jackets was Gambit, obviously, right? Yeah, Gambit obviously. with a big old trench coat, classic. I mean, John Constantine, eat your heart out as far as I'm concerned. Um this has always been like a part of Gambit's look, whether he's death, whether he's 90s Gambit, whether he's modern day Gambit. He's always wearing this long trench coat. So, like, I can't complain. Um, it's it's classic. It's part of what he looks like. But the other character that immediately came to mind is Chamber. So I don't know if you're okay. familiar with Chamber, the X-Men character, but he doesn't have a chin. <laughs> and his body <laughs> right. is just like like all the way down from his chin to the middle of his chest is just energy. And he wears like a special wrap around his head. And his name is Jono. And he's apparently the descendant of Apocalypse, according to a certain Peter Milligan X-Men storyline. Um, but he's always wearing like a cool leather jacket. And in my mind, it was always like a bomber jacket because the way that he carries himself like with a bomber jacket on. Um, but yeah, he's like, that's an iconic look like Chamber without a jacket is not the same character as far as i'm concerned and i always think like that's a cool looking character um so like you know one day cosplay you know you could just like black out your chin all the way down to your chest wear a jacket and then put a cool scarf around your neck and you'd be chamber and it'd be really really cool um well that's fashion and function which always like gets a plus like it can be functional and fashion then that's that's the best choice because like you mentioned gambit in the trench coat and i had a question are we counting a trench coat as a jacket? In my mind, they feel very different because I'm thinking jackets, I'm thinking motorcycle jackets, uh, you know, but the trench coat is a weird one because it, for me, it only works on characters who don't have to like fight. So like sure. John Constantine, the question, those, those mm-hmm. trench coats work. But I remember when I was reading, if you read like the authority and like midnighter, midnighter has that like leather, like duster that he wears, like that's so impractical mm-hmm. for fighting. To oh, me. totally. So, I mean, Gambit, 
might be a gray area there where it's like no 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 it's coat- totally impractical <laughs> okay. it's totally impractical because he's he's like doing flips and he's using his bow staff and he's like kicking people acrobatically like yeah. you know that there's definitely been times where he's like gotten it caught on like a ceiling fan trying to do a flip in the middle of a bar right like sure he's totally totally not practical but it's an iconic look but i I'm so mad because now like the thesis of my thought is ruined. Trench coats technically are not jackets. And I feel like my brain is broken. So Paloma, please move on before I go crazy over here. All right. What else have you, what other, what other characters do you think have some of the best jackets in comics? Okay. So this is more in terms of iconic everlasting, which maybe is a subcategory of best to jump off of Gambit. His soulmate, longtime love rogue. She donned like a bomber jacket in the 90s. And she has like, I feel like almost all of her looks are iconic just because she has to be covered up. So things got to look cool, right? Totally. So adding this jacket coupled with her luscious locks, I feel like she keeps (laughs) coming back to this. Where if you're like not as much of a comic reader, I know for like a while and she was like, on that X-Men Avengers team, Uncanny Avengers. She had Mm -hmm. that kind of like iconic, like green and white cloak, which I feel like is recognizable as a comic book reader. But it all comes back to like what she donned in the 90s X-Men animated series. And it's this jacket with the green and the yellow. I think she's wearing it on the cover of the Rogan Gambit number one. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You can't escape this look. this is the thing that I loved about the Jamie McKelvey covers and the Chris Anka covers for that Rogan Gambit series that Kelly Thompson did was the multiple types of rogues and gambits that they had to draw because the whole book is about like discovering re- rediscovering your identity when you're in a couple, which mm. is like, come on, guys, it's like one of the best books ever. Okay. Um, but like there are some really, really cool rogue outfits that you get to see and many of them have really cool jackets yes (laughs) um like a cloak is definitely a thing that is in rogues like outfit styles but i feel like her best looks have always been with like a half jacket they're Mm -hmm. not full Mm -hmm. jackets because they don't go Mm -hmm. down to her waist they're like half jackets which is also something that you know jubilee wears sometimes as well which we'll get to jubilee i think in a moment but yeah rogue has always i think been identified either with the green cloak nowadays or in the like she wears this hoodie jacket thing that like is part of her her overall like unitard thing that she wears that like has a hood. But I always see it as a jacket, like kind of a long jacket um, that looks really cool. But that half jacket is with the big X logo yes. on the side. Ooh, that is that is chef's kiss. <laughs> Beautiful X-Men iconic style for sure. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, you mentioned Jubilee there briefly, and I did want to say Jubilee might be the exception to the trench coat rule because uh, it's so like it's so over the top. You know what I mean? That's bright yellow, and her her whole thing is being like, you know, uh, visually stunning. So it's like a yeah. banana yellow trench coat. You doesn't get more stunning than that. So it's maybe functional and fashion. So you know. yeah, I mean, <laughs> I always thought I always saw Jubilee's jacket not as a trench coat, but as like. She was just really young and small, and she sure. was wearing like a full size adult's coat. Yeah. <laughs> and now, sense. of course, seeing pictures, I'm like, no, no, that's a that's a trench coat, but or it's just a really long jacket at the same time. So, like, sure. I don't know. In my in my head, you know, back in the '90s, I always thought like Jubilee's just this small teenager mm-hmm. um, who would wear like an oversized jacket because like she's in the '90s, everything she wears is baggy and blah blah blah. Whereas nowadays, I think she's drawn more with like a huge like 
it's it's like a trench coat but like it's not shaped like a trench coat you know what i mean like it's just a really long jacket um which in it to your point paul is different it's different different. style yeah yeah oh danny in the chat is pointing out kitty kitty pride aka kate pride's more modern look in the marauders with this extra long like captain's jacket Mm. um again not a trench coat it's more of a jacket (laughs) so Um, i i do want to uh point out that one pick that i had it's maybe it's iconic to me yes but it's not something that returns a lot. The ski jacket that Kitty Pride is wearing in that one panel where she's <laughs> calling Pro- Pro- Professor Xavier a jerk right. is so iconic. It's like pink, white, and blue. That panel has been reprinted so many times. And of course, mm-hmm. uh, Professor Xavier is a jerk. She's right. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I do love that look. And I wish she would have stuck with that jacket because it's so great. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, look, Chris Claremont was writer on this book from the panel that you look. Chris Claremont is capable of writing some pretty good darn comics, you know? <laughs> right, exactly. Who'd have thought? Who'd have thought um, <laughs> we could we can get off of the X-Men for a second, but I do <laughs> want to um, call out one more character that I thought was going to be perfect for this. And that is Sabretooth. But it turns out that Sabretooth doesn't actually wear a jacket. He's just wearing like a bodysuit that has fur around the neck. I don't understand it. <laughs> how does he even get out of that suit? Does Sabretooth? How does Sabretooth use the bathroom? These are questions hmm. that I don't ever want the answer to. Uh, but I was looking into it and I tried. I was going through panel after panel after panel of book. I could not find a mm. saber tooth wearing a jacket. It's just a full on like unitard thing that goes all the way down to his arms and legs and feet. God. It covers his whole body yeah. and has fur around the neck for some Stinky. reason. Sometimes it goes all the way down his back, depending on who's drawing <laughs> the book. Um, so yikes. <laughs> Let's move on. <laughs> it's an implied. It's an implied jacket. Sure. It's a suggestion sure, sure. Of a jacket. Yeah. I mean, a, a motorcycle jacket always works. I think there's a lot of characters that do have cool motorcycle jackets. Uh, uh, Ghost Rider, you know, Danny in the chat has a uh, uh, Jason Todd Red Hood. That's a cool yes. motorcycle jacket. Um, uh, who else? Uh, Madman, the Mike Allred character, sometimes drawn with a cool leather jacket. Mm. Um, Lobo. I mean, technically, it's a vest because the sleeves are cut off. But every, you never see Lobo <laughs> without that cool leather vest, cut off, you know, jacket. So I've drawn the line at vest. <laughs> <Okay. laughs> well, you know, I get that though. You know, there's a lot of characters who were just like '90s born, and they just like mm-hmm. automatically came with a jacket. Mm-hmm. You know, like you don't. They didn't. Yeah. They didn't get to opt into the jacket. They were just born with them. Mm-hmm. So you know, Jubilee again being one of those characters, I guess. But um, <laughs> I was looking at some more manga picks um, because, like, obviously, there's a lot of manga. That, that features characters with really cool designs and styles and stuff. And, you know, I was digging through the My Hero Academia backlog, and I, the only character that I could find was Kigo Takami, a.k.a. the wing hero named Hawks. Oh. Um, which, by the way, his official name is not Hawks. It is wing hero, colon, Hawks. And I looked, I kept looking all over the internet for this, and that's apparently what his actual hero name is, is Wing Hero Hawks, which is very funny to me. But he wears a really cool, like, fur jacket. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it's just, like, again, My Hero Academia styles are, like, incredible. Like, the, the creator on that book is amazing at de- designing characters, as far as I'm concerned. But Hawks has a really cool jacket. And his overall style is just very cool, because he is probably one of the coolest looking heroes in that, in that repertoire. But, um, you know, it's a... It's a fun, fun looking character. I don't know if you guys looked at that, but Paul, you know, yeah. you're an expert on manga. What are your thoughts on this? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I guess I mean, the, the iconic one is the uh, Akira. Cause like, I've, again, I've never read it, but I know the cover and mm. I know there's a cool leather 
jack motorcycle type jacket. It's like an eight ball or something on it too. It's again, it feels very nineties that Akira cover with a dude walking toward yeah. the motorcycle with a big jacket on. Yeah, Akira's, he's, you know, Canada, the character, he's got this cool red outfit that he wears, right? Yeah. I, I linked to it in our notes, and he's got this huge, like, it's this big puffy jacket, and on the back, there's just a giant pill, because, like, pills <laughs> right, are, okay. like, a whole thing in the series. Yeah. Um, And it's such, a, it's such a cool look. Canada has the coolest look in that first chunk of the story of Akira, Um, and later we get some other characters that have pretty cool looks, but, like, on the whole, like, that opening bit with canada and tetsuo and their little mm-hmm. gang of, of dudes riding on motorcycles like <laughs> it's just it's just cool cyberpunk future gang warfare shit it's awesome but that pill that pill like mm-hmm. look is so yeah i can't, i think there's great. in other panels it says like it says words around it but in the in the frame i think that's on the cover of things it's um oh sorry canada i don't know xander's giving me shit for saying it wrong um but i uh is it isn't it canada i don't know how to say his name Anyways, any anyone else? What else are you guys thinking? Looking at as far as, as other jackets before I I get yelled at anymore. Well, in the we're uh, still on in manga anime town. I have to give a shout out to my boy Naruto Uzumaki. As a twelve year old, he had the drip. He didn't have much. He had spoiled milk. He had instant ramen. But that orphan boy had drip. Um, <laughs> his his orange. I love both of his like Naruto and the Naruto Shippuden looks. But his like more white fur collar from Naruto when he's a youth. I just love that. I love the blue and the orange. Just style icon. Mm-hmm. It's a it's a very iconic look. Like something that I like you see an orange a character with an orange jacket and you're like, that's Naruto. That's mm-hmm. it. There's no there's no other option. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't think the I think the color orange is banned from any other book at this point because that's that is Naruto every time. Uh, one thing that it's almost so bad it's good is Guy Gardner's jacket because uh, he has like yes. that green. So it's sort of like a motorcycle jacket, but a lot of times he's drawn, he doesn't have the sleeves on it. So it kind of looks like a vest, <laughs> but sometimes he does have like a full jacket depending on who's drawing sure. it. It's like, I like the idea that it looks so dumb, but again, he's a Green Lantern. He can kind of design his own outfit using the ring and he's committed. It's like, no, I got this this green motorcycle jacket. I'm sticking with it. So it's begrudgingly... I have to admit that's kind of cool. I concur. <laughs> Listen, I don't know anything about Green Lanterns, so except for the one character I met in Far Sector. So um, I'll take <laughs> also, your word for it. I think take there was a jacket there. I think I think Joe did I, have a jacket. So that was that she was cool does. Too. Yeah, I think she yeah. does wear a pretty cool jacket. But like overall, <laughs> Jamal Campbell went really hard on that book yeah. in terms of what everybody looked like. So like, yeah, I'm sure there are multiple jackets in that book that just look <laughs> stylish as all hell. Right. You know, speaking of that, oh, man, that reminds me. I was going to say, who else does a lot of really good fashion in comics? Chris Anka. Yes. All of the Chris Anka stuff. I know, especially when when he was doing the Runaways book with Rainbow Rowell, he would do these things on Twitter where he would post like, okay, here's the fashion that I used for this. Like, here's every character's outfit and how I drew them and why I drew them this way. Here's the inspiration for it. And I'm like, man, that's... (sighs) Thank you for putting so much work into this yeah. book that I just like sped through, <laughs> you know, to read. Um, but it's it's I know that multiple characters in that book. Nico definitely had a couple jackets. I'm pretty sure. Um, uh, and what's her name? Uh, Maggie had a couple or not. Matt, Molly had a, a couple mm-hmm. jackets in that book that looked really cool. Even Chase had some cool jackets just because he was a doofus. Like and he was just like, oh, no, I'm just gonna put this jacket on. And then suddenly it's stylish because 
Chris Anka can't help but draw handsome and beautiful people, exactly. you know, so. <laughs> yeah, the whole Runaways cast for that run had a lot of really good outfits, and I'm pretty sure there were plenty of solid jackets in there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, we were talking about the jackets becoming coming back into style, but I think what's interesting is, like, I think there's a lot of uh, comic book artists who have better fashion sense than people in the 90s did, because I think in the 90s had a people like, who've been drawing comics for a long time, trying to catch up with trends. I think nowadays, and again, this is very broad. I'm not saying anyone specifically, but like across the board, I think a lot of comic creators seem to have just a better sense of what style is and what looks good. So like the modern Mm -hmm. jacket's a little bit sleeker cut. They're not just Mm -hmm. like, you know, thrown on. They're kind of like have a form and function. They look more sleek, more modern design. So maybe in 20 years, might look back and say, why is everyone wearing jackets like that? But in this moment, they look cool. (laughs) (laughs) No, I, I agree for sure. To go with like artists like Chris Anka who know fashion, Jamie McKelvey, yeah. what he brought to the Ooh. table on the Young Avengers run uh, with Kieran Gillen, there was fashion changes. Like America Chavez I have on here as being like oh. a modern jacket wearer. But she had right. so mm-hmm. many different outfits in there. She even had like a cool, a super cool like jacket combo with like a sick button up underneath. I think mm-hmm. in like the later issues. But her like kind of like denim jacket that's probably over an un an unzipped hoodie. So like the jacket mm-hmm. over a hoodie mm-hmm. combo. I find chef's yeah. kiss. But I think, Paul, <laughs> to your point, like people know fashion in a very different way. They actually care about fashion. Maybe these artists they get in, inspo mm-hmm. from it. And I think Jamie mm-hmm. McKelvey really like showed that with America Chavez. For totally, sure. totally. That I'm also thinking McKelvey's covers i think and i don't remember if we did interiors for captain marvel like she got a really sick looking jacket at one point like when he did the redesign for that character she also had like a really cool jacket that came along with it as part of like just the overall style of that character um yeah that i I definitely i mean when you think about it right the, the the reason why maybe fashion in heavy quotes in back in the 60s and 70s and 80s was was maybe less important or less used i guess was specifically because maybe especially in the 60s and 70s just we got to get these we got to get these things out right Mm -hmm. we got to get these books out and like what's the easiest way well just draw the character and then just kind of splash a couple colors on there and that's what the design is right um make it as easy as possible whereas nowadays clearly artists care some artists care a lot more about like the look and the dynamic feel of characters and there's like entire books out there that are about uh, like a friend of mine was asking about like, oh, man, I, I really want to draw this character with this kind of baggy look. They're wearing like m- like modern business clothes, but they're baggy. Like the idea is that they don't fit into mm-hmm. their clothes. How do I draw them in like sitting poses and action poses and stuff? And somebody uh, posted a book in this other discord that I'm in that was like, here's a 200 page book of someone where they just said, here's all these people of different heights and all these people in, in different clothes and how they sit and move doing common things. And you can mm-hmm. kind of apply that, extrapolate from that. But paging through just the preview of it that i saw on amazon i was like holy smokes like this type of reference is crucial for people that want to draw modern day clothing in ways that actually look realistic so that when you see it on the page you feel like they are a real person or that something is realistic about that page yeah which is crazy because they feel like that type of stuff maybe didn't exist or wasn't as prolific mm-hmm. 30 40 years ago um even 20 years ago you know artists were just trying you know you get artists that are taking pictures of themselves in sweatpants yes. to be like, okay, here's what baggy clothes look like, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, I, even Paulo Rivera to this day, I, you see it on his Instagram of him 
taking photos, doing things and posing and wearing certain things and holding items just so that he can get reference for his own, you know, images that he's going to draw for a cover or for an interior or something. Um, and just think that, you know, I, again, artists are thinking more about that type of stuff when it comes to form and function, when it comes to the clothing that people are wearing, not just the action and the poses that they're making, but like mm -hmm. to make sure that Naruto's arms look natural when mm -hmm. he's got this big baggy thing on and he's lifting his arm up um, is crucial because we as readers will know if that proportion feels wrong. You know, right. you'll, you'll notice like you, you probably have seen it like in older comics where someone's arm is doing something that just looks unnatural. And we go that that just looks weird. Mm -hmm. um, it's it's something that both, you know, artists and I think readers are paying attention to sub subconsciously uh, or maybe artists a little bit more consciously than than readers. But yeah, it's it's really cool to see that the more focus on that. And then because of that, we get to have episodes like this where we go look at the drip on these <laughs> yes. motherfuckers, you know? <laughs> yeah, I do wonder also with artists maybe being more in tune to fashion and like form and function i think mm -hmm. also in like the negative positive however you want to view it side we're like we can make this comic book character into like a show or a movie i almost feel like the designs have to be modern or like a easy to adapt to mm, right this is a person wearing this i don't think we'll ever like people constantly make the joke of like Wolverine's classic yellow outfit like that's ridiculous this span spandex is ridiculous and so I was looking mm -hmm. back at Lorna Dane like Polaris who's had some absolutely any character that has like headdress crown mm -hmm. type of deal I don't mm -hmm. think we'll mm -hmm. like well but I don't think we'll see that return for a long time if ever just because it would look it would be silly to see allegedly silly to see on the big screen and so like she sure. has a jacket now yeah. it's very cool mm -hmm. but she has a jacket when she was more like ornate like i am the mistress of magnetism or whatever little <laughs> thing she had <laughs> yeah yeah well i mean <clears throat> if we're talking about headdresses right like WandaVision technically hit it, you know, they did that's it, true. you know, and that's true. Wanda Maximoff in the movies did have that. However, it looked like shit because <laughs> you can't because because Marvel uh, and, and this is a whole other episode, but yeah. Marvel refuses to acknowledge and be OK with their own comics. Right. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. in that WandaVision episode, spoilers for WandaVision, just going to throw that out there. There's a spoiler where Wanda dresses up in a Halloween costume version of the Scarlet Witch, and she's got the full look she's got the look that you would expect from the comics bright yeah. red huge headdress she's got a unitard on she's got like everything you would expect out of scarlet witch and you're like there's the character and then they're like no 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 mm -hmm. we're gonna show you the real outfit and it's this like dark purple if your tv's yeah. brightness isn't high enough you don't even know if it has any color like weird <laughs> thing that's got like it looks like weird melted skin that's kind of mm -hmm. coming up out of her head that's mm -hmm. dark blue or dark purple um it's not great yeah. not great bob so <laughs> I don't know. Um, but yeah, like Danny in the in the chat is posting screenshots from the show. And I was like, even if they were in this cartoonish style, it would be cooler for me to be like, that's superheroes. It's bright. It's yes. colorful. Yeah. It's exactly what I would yes. expect. But Marvel refuses to do it because they need to differentiate from the IP that they are cribbing from. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> There's always a joke where they have some sort of... Um comics accurate outfit and it's always played for a joke it's always played for a laugh exactly. and the yeah. wandavision is the, yeah. the i mean the probably the best example of that but they've done it multiple times but uh mm -hmm. yeah it's it's uh it's strange I, I think that's a good point uh the idea of adaptability to film franchise because again circling back to 
Morrison's take on the X-Men. I mean, mm-hmm. the X-Men movie had come out a couple years before that. And again, everyone, there's that, you know, everyone kind of had like those leather jackets, those leather suits. And I feel like Morrison was playing off that for like the redesign of those characters that Frank Quitely did, you know? Sure. So Sure. I mean, but like the difference though, is that there was color mm-hmm. in those designs that Quietly <laughs> yes. did, right? Yeah. 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 That's like, true. Why are we so scared of color? <laughs> Can someone answer me that? Like Danny's posting screenshots or gifs of like Scarlet Witch from uh, one of the movies that came out and in yeah. Superman from one of the movies that came out, like the Henry Cavill. It's like Superman was wearing the darkest blue with like barely visible yellow ass on his chest. And it's like, yeah. why are we scared of blue and red? Why are we scared of colors that actually have vibrancy? And instead, it's like if you again, if you turn the brightness down on your TV, you go, this is a black and white film <laughs> like <laughs> or you wouldn't be able to see it because there's so much shadow. And it's like maybe that's yeah. because it's easier to hide CG behind. Maybe I don't even want to get into it. Anyways, we're going to talk about more jackets. Uh, I've got I've got at least two more that I want okay. to talk about before okay. we wrap up here. And one being Future Trunks's jacket from yes. Dragon Ball Z. Um, which is, you know, just do a quick Google search for that. All you got to search for future trunks and you're going to see this kid with a weird purple bowl cut and he's got this <laughs> half jacket on with a capsule corp logo on the Icon. side. And it's so cool. Future trunks is still one of the coolest looking Dragon Ball Z characters to date. Um, and I love him. I love him for that. I know Paloma, I think you also have some thoughts on it. So I'll, I'll let you carry on. Yes, he brought fashion to dragon ball z that we had not seen since arguably dragon ball ball with bulma and yamcha he brought fashion back he brought statement Mm -hmm. pieces i know piccolo and vegeta had their their outfits for like piccolo learns to drive vegeta has his bad man shirt but this (laughs) this jacket this bowl cut Uh the sword no one in this show needs a sword they have this. <laughs> <laughs> yes, absolutely. Like <laughs> Vegeta's Batman shirt is up there, mm-hmm. but like this look is of, of Future Trunks is one of the coolest like anime manga character designs as far as I'm concerned. Like, and I've listed some more modern ones that I think are cool, like uh, Toge Inumake from Jujutsu yes. Kaisen. Right, cool looking guy. He's got a jacket that kind of goes up over his mouth because he needs to cover his face. Because if he speaks English, he'll basically kill everybody. It's awesome. Doflamingo Flamingo from One Piece, the biggest jacket in all of comics <laughs> that's ever existed. Um, it's this huge multi-feathered thing. It it just sits on his back because he's just the pure evil character. But Future Trunks still above both of them, still above any of the other manga characters, still above most of the comic book characters we've listed because the dude is so cool looking just straight cool he just breathes <laughs> coolness that's all i can say yeah paul's just gonna take my word for it he's, uh, he's yeah, giving me a knowing no nod you know all right <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna get paul to read dragon ball z one of these days that's what okay. I, that's my goal for 2025 <laughs> um <laughs> um i guess you guys have any last thoughts on things any any last characters that we didn't get to call out before we wrap up here uh, boy, not that I can think of off the top of my head. I think, you know, I listed off the ones that came to the top of my mind. I still think if we're going to go ranking, I, Paloma nailed it. 90 Superboy's the coolest jacket and the coolest look <laughs> in all comics. <laughs> okay, okay. This isn't a best of bracket episode, but I think that we've got it down to the final two, and it's yeah. 90s Superboy versus Future Trunks. Oh Only the <laughs> listeners can decide. Send right. in your answer. Who who wins, Future Trunks or 90s Superboy? Um, let us know. 
ircbpodcast at gmail.com. But uh, <laughs> I guess that's going to wrap up today's show. Paloma, Paul, thank you so much for, for being with me today to talk about stuff. This is this has been really wild and uh, reminded me that jackets are really cool. And I'm glad that I own so many myself. Yes. Uh, <laughs> next week, uh, Danny, Nick and I are going to be talking about Nuff Said the silent moment from Marvel. We talked about this pretty recently on the show and Danny, Nick and I were looking for an episode topic. So we're going to go and read a bunch of silent comics on Marvel Unlimited and then we're going to come back. We're going to talk about what that moment was, if the comics are any good. We've got a lot of things to say. So look for that next week. You can check us out on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok. We've got our Discord. We've got a Goodreads group that's almost 1,100 members, which is crazy. Our reading challenge is going swimmingly. I'm very excited about all the books on there. Need to start reading some of them. I'll I'll admit I'm a little behind, but uh, as always, you can support us on Patreon to get access to things like a better Batmobile. We've got season two coming very, very soon. Um, IRCB Movie Club is dropping very soon as well. And uh, yeah, plenty of really interesting stuff. X-Men, Mike's X-Men Blind Box is a new series that we're doing. Um, it's, a, it's a whole thing. Got to join us on Patreon at patreon.com slash IRCB podcast. Infinity Shred is the best band in the universe. They do all of our music. Xander waits. Xander listens. Xander is watching. I want to say thank you to Paul and Paloma for being on this episode. Thank you to Brian for proof listening. Thank you to everybody in the chat for hanging out with us. And if you got this far in the episode, thank you to you, dear listener. You're the best. Until next time, comics are good, and so are you. Comics.